Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. We're going to have a wonderful hour with Dr. Mark Muska. He is in studio. You know that's Ask the Professor, and he will take your questions. Let me know what they are. Send me a text, 877-933-2484, 877-93-FAITH, and we will get your questions on the air. We've got a bunch coming in already. Mark, welcome back to the show. Get the microphone in front of your mouth. That'd be helpful. Yep, there we go. go. I'm getting there. <laughs> I'm I can't there. teach you anything, can I? Nope. Yeah. Hey, Bill. Merry Christmas. <laughs> hey, Mark. First Merry one Christmas to see it. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, do you want to take questions already? Sure. Should we, should we get That's at it? That's why we're here, isn't it? They they don't like our humor, so we better yeah, they do don't. questions. They don't. So. All right. Here's a lovely question to get things started. Okay. I heard a sermon by Barry Black. He's the chaplain for the U.S. Senate, and he prays daily to be filled with the Holy Spirit, Luke eleven thirteen. And for wisdom, James 1, 5. Should we pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Aren't we already filled and sealed if we are Christians? Yeah, that's a really good question. I and, know. you know, there's a lot of, um, what would I say, a lot of a fuzziness in thinking about the role of the Spirit in the life of the follower of Christ. And uh, I like to go to Ephesians 5, classic passage here, where Paul's talking about, he's giving them direction here about living the Christian life. And he puts out two or three general things for them uh, where he starts out in uh, Ephesians five fifteen, where he says, Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, it's really good. That's good advice for living life. You could go a long way with those three things. But then very famous verse in verse 18, he says, and do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation. Dissipation means it's a waste of time, but be filled with the spirit. And here, Bill, I got to go professor on you because the original language of this, that verb, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You you ready for some grammar here? Yeah, bring it on. That this verb is in the, it's an imperative, it's a passive uh, a verb as well. The imperative means it's a command, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and it's also a present imperative. So the passive means we don't fill ourselves. God fills us. He doesn't say fill yourself with the Spirit. Mm. He says be filled with the Holy Spirit. God is the one doing that. But the present verb means that this is a continuous thing going on. It's not once for all. And so uh, some translations even translate it that way to get to that present verb to say, they'll say, but be filled with the Spirit continually. That this is when we submit ourselves to the power and control of the Holy Spirit day by day, moment by moment, year by year, as we live our lives as Christians. So at any given time, I should be able, I'm going to ask you right now, Bill, are you depending on the Holy Spirit to fill you and control you right now? Absolutely. Okay, I could ask you at the end of the show, are you still? Absolutely. Are you after dinner tonight, after you next week, in Christmas time, two years from now? You should be able to answer that yes, no. But there's times when we resist the Holy Spirit's power and control and want to do our own thing, give in to temptation. There's a couple terms that Paul uses for that. Uh, He talks about it as quenching the Spirit, cutting him off, 
or grieving the Spirit when we resist His power and control. So it's not necessarily a given thing that we are always surrendering to and submitting to that power and control of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So, yeah, this is something. In fact, uh, one of my heroes is uh, a guy who died a few years ago, but he was the founder of Crew, uh, Campus Crusade, Bill Bright. Oh, sure. And he wrote in one of his books where he said he made it a practice of his life for years and years and years he did this, where when he was laying in bed before he got out of bed in the morning, before his feet hit the floor, he would spend just a couple moments in prayer to say, God, may everything that I do today be signed with the power and control of your Holy Spirit. I submit to his control. And it, that tells me a lot about why, why Campus Crusade has made the impact that it has, because he lived surrendering and submitting to the Spirit day by day, week by week. It's not a one-and-done thing. That's, that's not the way that works. Yeah, usually the power answers come out towards the end of the hour, but you're, you're coming out swinging today. Well, that is just, it's such a misconception. Yeah. We, we hear language used about the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit. We're also told that we, uh, the Spirit lives inside of us as Christians once we put our faith in the gospel. First uh, Corinthians 6, Paul says, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you? Now, that's a more permanent thing. That doesn't go away day by day. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say that the Spirit is renting. He's not saying he's taken out a two-year lease. He's saying he is living in you. There's a sense of permanence to that. So you might be resisting the Spirit's power and control any given time, but that he still is resident within you. You haven't lost the presence of the Spirit. You're just resisting him. You're yeah. quenching him. You're grieving him at that moment. It's awesome. Dr. Yeah. Mark Musk is in the studio. Let me know what your questions are for him. 877-933-2484. Here's a question. Uh, just as David was theologically wrong at times, like, for example, I wish my enemies were dead, could the Apostle Paul have been wrong about women teaching and preaching at men? I personally don't think so. That's the question. The yeah, that's a, that's a tricky one. I think we have to be careful. This gets into our attitude toward the Scriptures. And uh, uh, we uh, uh, here at Northwestern, and I know the the Northwestern media, uh, we affirm an idea that the scriptures are inerrant. And what that means is that they are without mistake or error in everything that they affirm. The Bible does contain error. So, for example, yeah, the Bible tells us that Satan lies to Eve in the garden and says, you won't die. So there's lies in the Bible, but anything the Bible affirms we as Bible believers hold to that as being true in everything that it affirms. So that makes it very difficult to start uh, putting out there that Paul got something wrong right? or that David did. Uh, I, that, is, uh, that leads us down a path I don't think we want to go in. I agree. Because one of the main problems with that is if you propose that Paul's right some of the time and wrong other times, then you become the judge of Scripture, and you're discerning, and it's usually things you just don't like very much. that you say, oh, yeah, he's wrong about mm-hmm. that, when in fact uh, there's, uh, th- that's a very dangerous path to go down. You can pretty much uh, explain away anything in the Bible by saying, oh, well, you know, Paul was just having a bad day, man. You know, he, he wasn't tuned into the Lord when he, when he wrote <laughs> that. Uh, that. It's an easy excuse, yeah. but a very dangerous one. Yeah. So when you say there are lies in the Bible, you mean like a lie was told by Satan in the Bible. Yeah, and the Bible records that. Yeah, so it's not like everything that's said in the Bible is true right? because there's some really bad people that do some bad things and that, and the Bible faithfully records that. But that's why we say everything that the Bible affirms, everything that it teaches 
inerrancy says that is breathed from God. It comes from him, divine inspiration, and God doesn't make mistakes. Yeah, with you. Uh, another question. This year, my family is trying to shed some of its non-Christian traditions surrounding Christmas and get closer to a biblical foundation. Do you have any scriptures that would be foundational to build new traditions on? Ooh, that's wow. I should have given you that one during the break. Um, well, I think, you know, the, the first thing I would go to is just the uh, birth narratives in Matthew and Luke, mm-hmm. that those are terrific. In Matthew 1, it's a little shorter, where it talks about uh, Joseph uh, ready to divorce Mary because he finds out she's pregnant, but then the angel tells him, uh-uh, don't do that. Uh, she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and he quotes Isaiah seven fourteen and so forth. So that, that's a really good passage. A lot of families will be reading that mm-hmm. on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Uh, and then, of course, the most uh, detailed one is Luke chapters 1 and 2, where it talks about both the uh, birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus. And that's just terrific material in there. Uh, I just, I, I advocate it uh, uh, a lot. So I would say those are a couple of good starting points. And can I put a promo in for something? Yeah, because I, I just watched yeah. it last night. A Northwestern grad by the name of Dallas Jenkins is producing a, a, a TV series, multi-year series that's called The Chosen. And the pilot for that is called The Shepherd. And it's it tells the birth story of Jesus from the perspective of one of those shepherds. It's only about 15, 17 minutes long. It doesn't go very long, so your kids won't go squirrely on you. But it is really well done. Uh, and there's uh, Dallas just completed his first year of shooting, so there's eight episodes to The Chosen. But he's interested in seeing this be a multi-year thing. I highly recommend it because it's true to Scripture. Dallas loves the Lord, and he loves the Bible, and he's going to remain as faithful as he can to what the Bible says. He just tries to fill it in with some of the context for these things that we read in the Bible, and it's really quite well done. I love it. Thanks yeah. for that. Thanks for that recommendation. Yeah. So, Mark, in I think it's in Luke and in Matthew, it, it, you talk about John the Baptist, you bring that up, and yep. he, he was the, you know, the forerunner to the Messiah. He leaps, leaps in his mother's womb when Mary shows up at the door. Okay, uh, how does he get to the end of his life in prison and, and ask if, is he the one or should we look oh, for yeah, someone yeah. else? That's a really good, I have a little fun with my students with that. Oh, because good. that comes well, have in, fun with us then, too. It, it comes in Matthew uh, chapter 11 where uh, John the Baptist is rotting in the uh, prison that Mm -hmm. Herod has put him in. Yeah. And so he sends his disciples to Jesus, and he asks him that. Uh, You have to look at the context of this, because in Matthew 1 through 10, Matthew is making a case for Jesus being the true Messiah, according to what the Old Testament teaches. So Matthew takes what Jesus says and does and compares it to Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah. I like to uh, t- tell my students, it's like Matthew is a prosecuting attorney here. Jesus is on trial. Is he the Messiah? And mm-hmm. Matthew's trying to prove him guilty that he is the Messiah. And he uses all this evidence. And so uh, at the end of this, John sends his disciples to Ask Jesus, are you the one, or should uh, we look uh, for, for another? Uh, let me just read it here. Uh, uh, Matthew eleven two. Now when John, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, said to Jesus, are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? And now we have to stop there for a minute and say, wait a minute, John knew perfectly well he was the one. All you've got to do is read John chapter 1, the Gospel mm-hmm. of John, and John makes it explicit. He says, the one who sent me said, 
Look for the one when you baptize him where the Spirit descends upon him. And John says, and so I testify to you, he is the one. So there's no question John knew that Jesus was the one. So why does he ask a question like that? I don't think we can prove it for sure, Bill, but there's different theories that are out there, and this is where we can have fun, where the education majors in in the class will say, well, uh, John wants to teach his disciples that Jesus is the one. He knows perfectly well he is, but he's sending his disciples so they hear it from the horse's mouth directly mm. that he's the <laughs> disciple, and so it's a learning opportunity, education, education majors. Uh, the psychology majors then chip in as well, where they say, oh, well, you know, John, he was getting discouraged. He was in this prison, wasn't able to preach anymore, and so he was really low. He was depressed, and so he was starting <laughs> starting to have his doubts, uh-huh. and so he's just trying to get affirmed here so he can believe. And I don't think either one of those is likely. I can't prove it, but I think what John is doing is that he's questioning Jesus that if you're the one, we know what the Messiah will do when he comes Prophecy says it clearly that he will overthrow Israel's enemies. He will establish the throne of David and Israel will return to its years of power and glory. And Jesus isn't doing that. And so John has a legitimate question. Are you the one or should we look for someone else? Because you're not stepping into that role. So I suspect John wasn't even that clear about Jesus' role to first present himself as the Lamb of God to be sacrificed for the sin of the world. And then the whole thing about him ruling the world from the throne of David, that's what we anticipate now in 2019. Mm-hmm. That's what's coming. You know? So he, he, he's, I think he's representing that Jewish attitude about who the Messiah was going to be and what he was going to do when he appeared. And so Jesus, uh, Jesus corrects that. Okay, let me take a little break. Dr. Mark Muska is in studio. And if you have a question, let us know what it is. 877-93-FAITH. 877-933-2484. We'll get your question on the air. We'll be right back. Thanks for being with us today. Dr. Mark Musk is in the studio, so ask your question. You can make it as hard as you want because I haven't seen him sweat yet. And that's one of my goals is to see him perspire while in studio. So, Mark, I, I got a question out of Exodus chapter 33. I yeah. think in verse 11 it says, Thus the Lord used, used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Yeah. All right. Now, I struggle with that. I don't know if that's the English translation that just isn't good. I don't think anyone ever saw God face to face. Well, that's kind of hard in his in his in the uh, sense of that God is a spirit being, and one of the things that's true about a spirit being is he's non-material. Okay, and so it's awfully right. hard to see somebody that's not material. That's good point. He's. I like to take it further than that. That he is he is not able to be sensed through our senses unless he decides to make himself mm-hmm. sensed. So we can't hear him, see him, t- taste him, smell him, touch him unless he takes action to reveal himself in that kind of a way. And we call that, a technical theological word we use for it, is it's a theophany, Mm -hmm. when God makes himself heard or seen. And there's plenty of passages in the Scripture that talk about God appearing, and uh, usually it's in the form of a man, or God speaking to people from heaven, and they actually hear an audible voice Mm -hmm. that is God's voice. So uh, in verse 11 there, this is making the point that God 
is intimate with Moses. They have a what we would talk, call today a tight relationship where he talks to Moses like a friend. I look at that, I'm really jealous, actually. But, oh, yeah, I am too. Because I wish I had that kind of relationship with God all the time where I could talk to him about everything and be his friend and he could be my friend. It's a great thing that he says. You have but, that with me, don't you? Um, that kind of relationship? <laughs> yeah. I think we do. But it's different because I can see you. Well, that's true. That's a good point. And right. so, I, and I, I can hear you too. Okay. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> but he says that uh, he, he speaks to Moses face to face. And then the question came up uh, uh, that uh, what about verse 20, though, when it says, uh, God says to Moses, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. And so that sounds contradictory, but I think it's getting at the idea that uh, uh, Moses is not able to see God in his innate existence as this spirit being. God will manifest himself and allow Moses to speak with him as with a friend. But as far as seeing him, no, uh, we are way out of our league that no one can see God in that sense and survive it. Mm -hmm. So, All right, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2... In verse 10, it says, And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refused to love the truth and so be saved, therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false, Mm -hmm. in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Yeah. You started in verse uh, 10 10. there, didn't you? Yes, I did, yes. Yeah, I start? very, very sober verses. That is very sober. Mm-hmm. I read that and I go, okay, what does that mean? Well, pretty much what it says there, that uh, there are people who are perishing. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of them in our world. And part of that is that many of them, I wouldn't say every single one, but many of them are deceived. They're de- there's deception that the wickedness that they do, it calluses their hearts, it calluses their minds so they mm-hmm. don't think clearly. I like to say to students, you know, most of sin is irrational. It doesn't make sense to do some of this stuff, but we're not thinking real clearly mm-hmm. usually when we succumb to temptation. And so uh, these wicked people, uh, they they evidently, Paul's saying, they heard, they heard the message of love and the truth, and they have pushed it away from themselves. And so because of that, God is going to further harden their hearts and give them this deluding influence he talks about in verse 11 so that they will believe what's false. Uh, they, uh, they will fall for all kinds of uh, goofy uh, uh, gods or religions, all kinds of goofy philosophies. But then uh, God is, uh, he, he takes no pleasure in wickedness and they will face judgment if they don't turn from it. Mm-hmm. So, Wouldn't you say that the thief on the cross, one of them, was had live a life of wicked deception and was perishing? I think both of them were. So then why didn't God send a strong delusion to the one who said, would you remember me? Yeah, good question. We'll ask God someday. Okay. I think the thief probably asked him himself Okay, when he got to see Jesus face to face in glory. So uh, those are the kind of questions we're going to struggle to answer. And if you, if you try too hard, you're just going to run around in circles and get dizzy. And so I like to leave them alone to say, that's that's God's business. That's not in my department. Uh, last time I checked, I'm not the assistant Holy Spirit. Really? Okay. Well, you've got some impressive credentials otherwise. And not not when it comes to that. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's uh, the knowledge of God. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How, do we, uh, how do we put in perspective the, the principle of sowing and reaping? Now, that can be distorted easily 
Um, You're thinking about Second Corinthians here? I believe I am, yes. Yeah, because Second Corinthians 9, Paul talks about giving, financial giving. And there's a whole lot of churches right now that are urging their people to finish the year well because their budgets are a little behind or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, the pastor of the church that I'm a member of gave a, a terrific message on the role of generosity and giving, and I thought it was really good about a month ago. It was uh, before Thanksgiving, uh, but I can read the passage here. Second where, Corinthians, what is it? Uh, 9, starting in uh-huh. verse 6. Uh, Paul says, <laughs> Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance in every good deed. And so the, the, the idea is uh, you can't uh, you can't accuse God of being uh, a lacking generosity with you. And so this is a way for us to return this gratitude and generosity back to the things of God and the works, uh, the work of the Lord. And that, that uh, God will bless us in overabundant ways. Now, there is a theology out there, Bill, that sees that blessing primarily as a financial or material blessing. Mm-hmm. I think they missed the point. That Jesus, in you know, in his teaching in the Gospels, he makes it clear that do not store up for yourselves uh, treasures on earth where the moth can get it, and or rust will get it, or thieves will get it. But store up treasures in heaven that neither moth nor rust nor thief can get. And so it's much more that idea. There's a whole lot of really poor Christians out there financially and material, mm-hmm. and they enjoy the abundance of God's blessings in their lives, and they could care less. In fact, we as American Christians could learn a lot from these people. I get we could, but there's still a lot of people who are suffering, yes. and they're in a very difficult situation, yes. and it gets down to groceries. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just wondering how we could encourage them. Yeah, I think it's a matter of, you know, number one, the encouragement of God's generosity and his blessings. And then secondly, getting off our dogs and providing food for people in those kinds of positions. And uh, it's not an either or there. That's a both hand. Yeah. All right. Uh, Dr. Mark Muska is in studio and I know you've got questions and we've got still a bunch coming in. 877-933-2484. I've got a question that I don't think I can get started, Mark, before the break, because we've got to go to break here in a minute. And it has to do about, uh, here's the question. I'll set it up and let our listeners be teased with the question. And then after the break, we'll return to it and discuss it. How do Calvinists explain all of the references in Scripture which address human free will and God's desire for all to come to repentance and be saved? All right, I'll repeat that question after we go to break. Dr. Mark Musk is in studio. Let me know what your question is. 877-933-2484. Be right back.
your baby boy would save our sons and daughters. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Mark Musk is in the studio. Ask the Professor is well underway. If you have a question, let us know what it is. We'll put it on the air and give Mark a chance to answer it. Here's a question that we mentioned right before the break, and now I think it's time we address it, Mark. And the question dum, is this. Dum, dum. Dum, dum, dum. How mm-hmm. do Calvinists explain all of the references in Scripture which address human free will and mm-hmm. God's desire for all to come to repentance and be saved? Yeah, that's a good question. And Brian you're gonna, asked that one. Uh, Brian? Uh, okay. Yep. Uh, it's a great question that we have to look at the Scripture, and our goal is to be true to all of Scripture and not just to prioritize certain passages that we agree with and then kind of ignore those that don't really fit into our system. And so uh, the Calvinist, and then on the other side of this thing is the Arminian, they've got to be fair to all of Scripture. And so uh, there's a couple passages that make this explicit about uh, God's desire for people to be saved. Uh, First one is in 1 Timothy 2, uh, verses 3 and 4, where Paul says, "...this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth." And then Peter gets in the act over in 2 Peter 3, 9, where he says, The Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowmans, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So uh, it seems quite clear here that it's God's desire for everyone to be saved. So why isn't everyone saved? Uh, different uh, believers will say different things to this bill. And, and Brian, uh, some will point out that these are God's desires, but he has other desires as well. Uh, for example, to honor the choices that they make for themselves, and he's not going to force them. He easily could and make us all into marionettes and puppets that just do and say what God dictates. Didn't do that. It also might be he's got other things that are more important to him as well, uh, as uh, one example is his glory and manifesting his glory and making that the primary thing that he accomplishes through what he does. So it gets real complicated there to understand that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, uh, and you don't even need these two passages. Virtually every command in the Bible assumes that we have the freedom either to obey that or to disregard it and disobey it. And so, of course, we have this ability to choose for ourselves and make moral choices as human beings. But the Bible is just full of verses, too, that talk about how God is also acting intentionally and making decisions as well, that there will be certain things that happen, and they will happen at certain times and in certain ways. So you've got a both-and situation sitting Mm -hmm. there. And so uh, where I come down on this, Brian, to be able to sleep at night, I approach this practically to say the Bible affirms the reality of human freedom to be able to make our choices. The primary choice, of course, being whether we put our faith in the gospel or not. But then also God has made his choices as well. And we use words like election and predestination and foreordination for that. And so somehow those two things are in harmony with one another. How they're in harmony? Boy, good question. We'll ask God when we get to heaven someday if we're still interested. But the Bible clearly affirms both. And so if I'm going to be fair to the Scripture, I have to affirm both of those things and leave it alone. Because the more I push it, the more it puts a frown on my face and the more questions are, are, are posed. I may be able to answer one or two questions, but then five or six more questions pop up. It's like dandelions in the summer where you just you can't get rid of them. 
And so uh, you're going to find yourself frustrated if you think you're going to have to answer all these questions about this. Uh, there's been a whole lot of really brilliant theologians, God-loving, you know, wonderful theologians, studied Scripture more than any of us alive today that weren't able to reconcile this. And so that should tell you something. And that does tell me a lot. Rebecca, we had a caller that came in, and we're not, we don't have a call screener today, so you took the call. I did. Can you Ooh. communicate to Mark what that uh, listener was asking? Yes. The question was about Adam and Eve um, and the description in Scripture about them walking with God in the garden. Mm-hmm. And he was wondering if there's anything in the Bible that, that describes how long the time period might have been before sin enters the picture. Yeah, there really isn't uh, directly uh, any kind of time reference there. Uh, there have been some scholars that have tried to date this back from the genealogies that are given in Genesis 5 that go from Adam down uh, through 10 generations there. But that's a little dicey to get into there. Uh, and so we just really don't know. Uh, but uh, this is uh, the verse comes from Genesis 3 8, where Adam and Eve have already sinned and they're hiding. And uh, uh, the author here, Moses, says that they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. So it appears as though they walked in the garden with God on a regular basis. Think of that. Um, are anybody looking forward to that <laughs> with, uh, you know, what comes when time. we receive our reward? Uh, that just is really something. So, uh, the, and then Bill, you know, he brought up a secondary question there to say, well, what's wrong with these knuckleheads? Well, how right. can they fall if they, uh, that's in the Hebrew, by the way, knucklehead. Of course it is. Uh, but uh, how can they fall if they're walking with God like that? That's crazy. Mm-hmm. But this shows the, the f- frailty of the human being. And uh, us being susceptible, especially to temptation and lure that is put out there. Uh, Eve and Adam were pretty much innocent here. They had no idea what evil was or sin was until they fell into it. But I think it's very telling that uh, just before Eve takes the fruit and gives it to Adam and they both eat it, I really, uh, I think it's interesting here in Genesis 3, 6, where Satan has just finished with his tempting. And then Moses tells us, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate it and gave it to her husband and ate it. Those are three really good things. That There's nothing wrong at all that the tree is good for food. We look for good food. It's a, it's a it's a good and a natural human desire that we have. And the tree is a delight to the eyes. In the South, they'd say the tree was purdy. It was pretty. It was a beautiful tree. And then thirdly, it's desirable to be wise. Mm-hmm. All three of those are perfectly legitimate desires that we have as humans. But what happens is when it gets twisted to do something, though, that we are to go out of bounds with those natural desires, that's when it gets corrupted. It is so subtle, but yet it's so damning uh, to uh, be corrupted in that kind of a way. Most of these lures play upon God-given desires that he has given us, and yet we twist them and we use them outside of the boundaries that God has set for for these uh, desires and these urges that we have. So it... uh, 
I can see it. I mean, we were kidding around, Bill. If you and I were in there uh, with Adam and Eve, we would have done the same thing. You know, this is this. Uh, we can't be too hard on these two. <laughs> got to get off our high horse and realize this is a human thing. Because now the Bible tells us we've got this curse of sin upon us because of Adam's fall, mm-hmm. and so we're predisposed to sin. And, I mean, this is something that any parent who's honest with you at all can see very early on in the lives of children that they, they you don't have to teach them to do the wrong thing. They do that just fine. Yeah. Uh, you've got to teach them to do the right thing. Excellent point. So this, this stain and this corruption has gone down through the generations of humanity. Uh, we, don't, uh, uh, we don't start out real good. Mm-hmm. Brian jumped in and said, thank you for your gracious and marvelous answer, Dr. Musco. Oh, that's great. That Merry nice? Christmas, Brian. Yeah, that's really nice. All right, do you feel like going into the personal uh, vault here? I don't know what that means, so I'm well, going to say gonna I to don't per- know. means you're going to have to be, get personal here. Ooh. Yeah. Anyway, the question is regarding um, marriage, and uh, Madison is asking, because there's really no relationship identified as marriage in heaven, uh, what have you learned through your own personal relationship with Christ as well as your study of the Word regarding the significance of marriage here on earth? Oh, this, uh, I think that one, that's a really good question, Madison. Uh, marriage is up there uh, with a couple other things as well. The church is another thing that is an image and a reflection on our relationship to God. So that if you read this in Ephesians 5, for example, Paul gets into this and he directly links the relationship between wife and husband to the relationship between us and God or the church and God, the church and, and Jesus. And uh, very powerful what he does. So this is, this is extremely uh, important and center stage for those who are followers of Christ and those who put their f- trust in the gospel that are married— that we we seek for the Lord to help us to love our wives, you guys out there, and to love our husbands, uh, those of you who are women out there, because this is a reflection of God's love for the church and the church's relationship with him. It's very important. If you want to look at it from the dark side, I think this is why the church gets attacked so badly, and marriage does mm-hmm. as well, because Satan knows if he can distort the picture— between husband and wife, it's going to give us a, more of a false picture of God's relationship to us. That's really interesting. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, this is something to be uh, uh, very sober-minded about. Uh, the the, uh, the state of marriage in our society and in the world today is definitely under assault, and this is something Christians, uh, we need to talk about it more, actually, Bill, yeah. I think. Um, excellent. Uh, Greg wants to know, what's your take on the Traducian theory? Oh, gee. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready for that one, Greg. Yeah. Yeah. I can get into it, but I'd have to look again. I get all these uh, different theories mixed up if I'm not careful. It's the belief that at conception, both the child's body and soul or spirit are passed on to the child from the parents. So in other words, the child inherits both the material and immaterial aspects of his being from his biological parents. Yes. And that is a way to explain what a lot of people call original sin, because with that comes the corruption of sin. Sure. The other point of view on this, and I can't remember the title of it right now, is that each child is direct, soul or immaterial part of that child is directly created by God. And so it isn't necessarily in this bondage of sin from birth. And that's really the issue that is getting kicked around by trying to figure out where does this 
a child get their soul, their immaterial part mm-hmm. from their parents or from God. And uh, uh, that one's been kicked around for a long time. So in Genesis 2-7, it says that the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into Adam the breath of life. Yes. And man became a living being. This tells us that Adam was not just a physical being with a right. body, but he also had an immaterial part yes. being made in the image of God. Yes. And that the language there is really uh, vivid as well, Bill. And again, it doesn't really show up in in the English translation of it because uh, when he says this, uh, Genesis 2-8 or I'm sorry, that uh, 2-7, that when he says he formed man from the dust of the ground, he's material, mm-hmm. he's got a material body, flesh and blood, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That word for breath also is the word that's used for spirit. Mm. And so okay. this is where people say that we have a human spirit, that he breathes in us this spirit of life And then when it says, and man became a living being, the word for being there is the word soul. So you've got both the language of spirit and soul being incorporated into that statement there. So how does Psalm 51.5 fit in when it says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that gets back to that uh, Traducian thing again Mm -hmm. about that, Right from conception, this part of us is transferred to us mm-hmm. from our parents yeah. in this respect. Yeah, It's interesting. Let's take a break. We'll come back. Sure. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about Christmas coming up. That'd be fun. You want to read something from Luke? or Let's do it. Sounds dramatic. Dr. Mark Musk is in the studio. May have time for a question or two. 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Thanks for being with me today. Dr. Mark Muska is in the studio as we get ready to celebrate Christmas next year or next week, Mark. I would love to talk a little bit about Luke 2. Sure. Um, so in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. So no one's going to celebrate Christmas. They're going for a census, right? Yep. So Joseph went also from the town of Nazareth in Galilee, Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David. Yep. Okay, now... He's from the line of David. He'd be welcome anywhere in the city of David, wouldn't he? Well, Bethlehem is the city of David. Right. But he's from the line of David, so he's got some street cred, right? Maybe. I mean, there's going to be plenty of people that are descended from David as well, and and not even from David, but from Bethlehem, you know, from Mm -hmm. from this town. So, yeah, there's going to be plenty of people that are migrating to Bethlehem. Yeah. So he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child while they were there. Yep. So how much time was that? Beats me. Yeah. (laughs) It says that she was engaged, she was with child, and she had the child. So it couldn't have been more than nine months. Yeah. Don't we have some traditions, though, that they're they're coming in on on the donkey that night and the... Uh, that's a, a lot of people will will uh, conjecture. They'll say that, but there's no there's no uh, proof of that. That we just don't know how long they were there. Mm-hmm. Um, so in verse seven, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. So there were other children after that, right? Well, that's one that the Catholic Church and Protestants are going to argue about, of course. Because uh, Roman Catholic theology teaches that Mary remained a virgin throughout her entire life. Mm-hmm. So perpetual virginity 
of Mary, mm-hmm. and Protestants will kick in there that uh, she remained a virgin until Jesus was born, but then uh, by inference that we presume that she had other children. And there's a couple other passages that seem to name these other children mm-hmm. as well. So uh, Catholics and Protestants will uh, throw snowballs at each other about that and one. Aren't there passages, too, that, that say that they didn't come together until after Jesus was born? Right. And so that seems to infer that they did after he was born. Uh-huh. So... So she goes on to say she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was mm-hmm. no guest room available for yep. them. Um, so this this wrapping in the swaddling that still is going that still goes on in the Middle East, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Yep, that's an art form, isn't it? I don't know. I, I'm not up on exactly what that would look like. I do know I've got a, a brand new grandson two mm-hmm. months ago, yeah. and uh, the, there's a lot of, of, of thought now with uh, children that you wrap them and you snuggle them in in blankets when they're even very young so they can't wiggle a whole lot and yeah. they find comfort from that. And so maybe this is what's going on with these swaddling cloths sure. or whatever mm-hmm. it is. I'd have to look at that closer. Mm-hmm. But, uh, then, that would make sense. And then in verse 8, it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And mm-hmm. I guess at some point I thought I, I, I was taught or told that shepherds were a lowly profession. But that's really it not true, is it? It wasn't high. Yeah, th- this, was a, this was menial labor, sure. It was, it was menial labor. Mm-hmm. Okay, I've had someone else tell me other, otherwise recently huh. on the show. So, mm-hmm. interesting. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to them. Um when you talk about the angel of an angel of the Lord, uh, was that one angel? Well, that's what it says here: is that there is this one angel that's speaking to them. And uh, however, in verse thirteen, it says, "Suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God." So that sounds like a whole bunch of angels. Yeah. And was was there singing? It's never said. So yeah. I'm sorry about this okay. Christmas carol, angels we have heard on yeah, high, yeah. Gloria, and everything. So it doesn't say they sang, but they were really happy. And so, <laughs> uh, and he, he says, bring tidings of great joy to the right, people. Right. So uh, this was a very happy moment. Mm-hmm. Scared the ever daylights out I of know. those shepherds. The first thing I've got oh. to say to them is, do not be afraid. I know. Why so, do we have this understanding or this false the tradition that angels are these little cuddly little... Oh, man, cherubs. Cherubs, yeah. Yeah, uh, like little babies are yeah. cher- cher- yeah, just cherubs most non-threatening they things. Say. And... Yeah, fat babies, right, I mean, exactly. essentially, with little wings. And, <laughs> uh, some of this comes from... Frankly, that would horrify me, from, by the way. From uh, art and painting, that, painting and, uh, that's hundreds of years old that uh, I believe, I'm not an art historian, but I believe it was during the Renaissance where the, some of these religious pictures, in the corners of them, they would paint these little faces mm-hmm. with wings coming out, the two sides of the faces, uh, and, and uh, uh, in essence, uh, being a, a, a cherub. Uh, I think we can take, uh, it, take it to the bank, Bill, that a cherub was not some little fat baby that was really cute. Uh, these uh, cherub, in fact, the plural for cherub is cherubim, uh, that uh, these angels were terrifying and the, when they manifested themselves in ways that they could be perceived through our senses, mm-hmm. you see this consistently. When they manifest themselves, people aren't going, yo, how you doing? Uh, they're terrified. So whatever they look like, it has to be imposing the way they manifested themselves. Uh, same thing with the seraphim. Mm-hmm. Uh, a seraph, seraph literally means burning one. Whoa. So imagine what a seraph looks like. Yeah. That it would be terrifying. So uh, they're formidable beings. Okay. 
So in verse 10 now, it says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Yep. It was that true. So many people rejected him. Oh, I don't know. It's not so much short term. I think it's for all the people in the sense it is going to spread global. Mm-hmm. It's going to be big. This is big, big. Big, big. You'd say. Yeah. This is mm-hmm. not just little Bethlehem. This yeah. is big, this big. This is big. Yeah. All right. I mean, from the perspective of the shepherds, they probably hadn't traveled more than a few miles from their homes their entire lives. And so to have this be stated, it's like, whoa, this is this is big, big. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So verse 11, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests. So if there's a a company of angels saying this, what is the town doing the next day? Did you hear what happened last night? It's presumably, this yeah. is what this we can imagine, the the that town, there right? must have been some really hot rumors running around <laughs> as far as what happened here, because uh, the shepherds here, they didn't waste any time. You know, next verse, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened. So, uh, I, you know, we can't fill in the pieces of this uh, right. very clearly, but we can, we can uh, imagine that this made the rounds as far as uh, what they had seen. Mm-hmm. So I know we've talked about uh, the idea that the likelihood that Jesus could have been born in a peasant home yeah. um, because the, the shepherds would not have been intimidated going to a home of a neighbor type person. In a manger. This In a manger. Is, this is a barn. Okay. A, yeah. This is where they kept the animals. Right. The manger was a, a feeding trough kind of a thing. So. Mm-hmm. So very when, humble. Yeah, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, I wonder what that little party was like that night. The rejoicing, return, the return, yeah, yeah, into heaven. The the shepherds said to one another, "Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about." So, hmm, pretty powerful. You bet. Yeah. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Yeah. I sure hope there's reruns in heaven. Oh, no kidding. Wouldn't that be awesome? It'll keep me busy for a long time. Oh, yeah, me too. Mm -hmm. When you think of the, the shepherds, and if you say they had menial jobs, they are now the excited messengers that everyone's paying attention to all of a sudden. Yep. They're making it known. Really, Mm. really special. Yeah. So, and then verse 18, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Do you have any insight to that, Mark? Oh, it's just, that's what moms do. Yeah. I mean, this is very much a normal thing for a mom that... Uh, There's a lot of moms with their babies, especially when they're newborns, they keep little journals and diaries because Mm -hmm. they want to remember all these little intricate things. And to have this go beyond just holding the baby and getting used to the baby looking at you and making noises and wiggling and all that kind of stuff, you've got some people coming here that are making some awfully fantastic statements about this child. And so she knows full well uh, who the child is because the angel Gabriel made this uh, uh, clear to her earlier. 
months earlier when she when she had conceived. So uh, this is something that uh, most self-respecting moms aren't going to forget real easily. Mm-hmm. She's beautiful. She's going to keep this stuff. Beautiful passage. Will that be read at uh, the Muska household on Christmas Maybe. Eve? Yeah, I, I haven't decided yet. Yeah. Because I'd like to read something. Do I have one minute? Is yeah, that you've what got you one said? minute. Yeah, I love it when Mary says in chapter 1, after she bids with Elizabeth, and it says, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit is rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, this time on all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation, those who fear him. It's beautiful. Yeah. Mark, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. You and your family you and bet. all your grandkids. There's three now, right? Yeah. Well, four. I got four grandkids. The, the, the mob from South Dakota is coming in. That's right. It's going to be a lot of fun. Chaos. Oh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Stock up on sugar. Oh, we just absolutely have a great time. It's going to be fun. <laughs> Dr. Mark Musk has been my guest. And thank you for all the great questions. And if you missed any of this, it's, you do want to go back and hear it from the beginning. Go to MyFaithRadio.com. Thank you for listening and supporting Faith Radio. You're the best. Have a great Thanks night. Thanks for listening. And I will Programming see like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.